I'm an excavator. I'm an excavator. Hey, dirt, see you later. I'm an excavator. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's a good yeah. one. Shout out to my uh, my youngest son, Luca, who uh, I said said to my kids, I got three kids. I said, uh, you know, daddy's got to go do a show and I got to sing a song for uh, 10 seconds. What should I sing? And, um, you know, my daughter, she's going to be nine. No, sing Taylor Swift. I, I don't know. The first word to any Taylor That's Swift That's much better. <laughs> my, uh, my middle son, you know what? Credit to him. He, uh, he wanted me to sing Blue Oyster Cult, Don't Fear the Reaper. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. My, wow. My, Where my, do you get that from, mom or dad? Me. Yeah. Me. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then my youngest son, uh, his name's Luca. He's, uh, he loves everything to do with construction, right? Machines and dirt and everything. So he says, sing the excavator song by, uh, by Blippi. So there you go. There you have it, my, uh, my singing debut. Well, I thank him for that. That's a good mo- choice. That's a great choice, actually. Thank you very much. <laughs> no problem. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. I'm, honestly, I'm stoked to be here. Thank oh, you for no. inviting me. Looking forward to it. I know we, we just briefly spoke on LinkedIn and we connected, and then all of a sudden, here you are, not that long after. Uh, here you are. Which, yeah. So you and it was funny that you your message back to me was like, no, no, no. We know who you are, Manny. We know the show and oh, we yeah. listen to the show, so I get it. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Which I get a lot, which is really flattering. Like I just told you, you know. So uh, this show, I love it uh, primarily because for the longest time, you know, like even when I was in high school, uh, the guidance counselors would. Uh, you, we're going back now. Yeah. But the guidance counselors would scare you with, oh, you know, you got to get good grades. Or you're going to be a construction worker, right? And they would use that kind of as a almost a deterrent. You got to get good grades, yeah, or that you're going to yeah. be a construction worker. Okay. And again, you know, thankfully it's changed now, and there's a lot more uh, government and educational institution focus on the trades. But uh, you know, going back to those days, that was kind of the threat that people would make. So. Um, you know, thank God for, for the show and, and showcasing, you know, how hard people are working and, and uh, the innovation involved in this industry. That This industry is my whole life, right? I've been since I was a baby. There's a lot of right? pride. I mean, why wouldn't you want to drive some? I do it all the time. I, you know, my wife hates it, right? But uh, we'll drive by a bridge that, uh, that I had worked on and, and, oh, you know, yeah. I worked on that bridge over there. <laughs> we'll drive by a parking lot and I say, "Oh, you know, we did all the sewer over there." And uh, it's it is a sense of pride. It's 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 taking something from you know nothing and and creating something. It's the process of creation, right? Who could? I don't understand how anybody could not like that, right? So. Do you get a sense that? Uh, and we'll we'll get into this. Uh, I I got to still introduce you officially, um, but I, I do want to start the conversation when we. Do you get a sense of? Things have been slowed down. It's very, it's amazing that I get an opportunity to sit at a desk and talk to so many tradespeople that have the skills and the passion for the industry. But I get a sense from what's going on with their own, whether it's small business or high rise or big infrastructure. I feel like there's a lot of gatekeeping going on on the potential growth compared to what your dad and your grandfather probably experienced when the nation was being built. And yeah. I don't get a sense today that the nation's being built anymore. You know what I mean by that? No, I, I, so I hear exactly what you're saying. I think, so my entire life primarily, um, you know, except for my time as a Ministry of Labor uh, inspector, was spent in, in infrastructure and heavy civil, right? So um, in that regard, I don't necessarily think it's, it's slowed down. Um, 
but you can see the effects that uh, I guess the modern economy over the last you know three years in particular, four years, but uh, over the last chunk of time, you can see the impact that um, that's been had on residential and ICI yeah. and things of that nature. A lot of it, I think. Again, I'm not an economist, right? Uh, so I don't uh, I don't expect you to hold me as an expert in this, no, but no, uh, no. but I would say that a lot of it has to do with uh, the prices of homes, right? Yeah. Um, I can't see how people can afford to buy these homes, right? The cost of materials have gone up, so the builders, obviously, they're going to pay more out of pocket to build the homes, right? So you're going to price them a little bit higher. Um, but it's I, also building costs, like the yeah, tax. Yeah, and permits. Lands, you right? know, acquiring and yep. things like that. Yep. So it's like when we start seeing, we, not we, the government created this problem. right. Right. When we didn't have this, this wasn't an option back in the day. Like everyone talks about the good old days where it's like you can buy a house for yeah. twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, when yeah. cars were three thousand dollars. Right, and, the, right. And, and and like the 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 income to you know ratio was was reasonable, and now it's not. And then you start wondering, well, do we fix this or do we just live with it? It's a you know what? It's a good question. I mean, like I said, I'm not I'm not an economist, right? So I, I can't really. Uh get into the science behind it but I, I don't i guess i don't know how to fix it yeah. um i don't think that we'll ever get back to uh the level of affordability that like, we don't even have to go back that far let's go to 2008 right yeah, when which you was could, still extremely yeah it, it was still you know pricey but you could buy a detached home in vaughn for example for four hundred thousand. um you know now that same detached home you won't be able to buy no. unless you're spending 1.5, 1.7 million. I don't think we'll ever get back to that, but you know, I, I, I have to hold out hope that everything else is going to catch up, right? So that it's going to become a level of, of normalcy. So wages go up and, and look, they have to go up. Yeah. Everything else is going up. Cost yeah. of housing, cost of living, everything else is going up. So my, my hope is that everything will follow suit. I guess you could say. Hope so. All right. Well, hang on a sec. So we got John here. Uh, you're director of health and safety currently at RSG International, right? Yep. yep. Big organization. It's not a small fish. No, no. RSG International is, uh, I want to say we're the industry leader in road safety products. Uh, so things like temporary concrete barrier, uh, guide rail, overhead sign structure on the highways. Um, RSG International uh, oversees a number of different divisions across uh, Ontario and uh, certain parts of the United States that all do the same thing. There's also, uh, you know, research and development uh, with Safe Roads R&D, which is one of the companies under RSG um, that is, you know, designing uh, all of these products, these crash cushions and things like that to protect uh, both workers and motorists on the roadway. So, yeah, RSG is... Uh, it's a it's a large organization. Uh, it's a fantastic organization. Uh, core values are, you know, incredible, and it's uh, it's a good place to be. Yeah. So we got a lot to talk about. Let me do a quick shout out. I'm wearing Keith's uh, sweater, uh, Young Electric, um, out in Windsor area. There. Thanks so much. Unleash your voice on the Construction Life podcast community. Are you passionate about the world of construction, trades, and all things building related? The Construction Life podcast wants to hear from you. Leave us a review, share your thoughts, insights, and experiences on your favorite podcast channel. Your review fuels our mission to create engaging and informative content for the construction community. Your feedback is the mortar that holds our podcast together. Share your thoughts, rate us, and let the construction community know why the Construction Life is your go-to podcast. 
Visit our website and check out the nearly 500 tradespeople and construction professionals listed on the site. Connect with all of them. Check us out at www.theconstructionlife.com for additional content, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and valuable resources. Dive deeper into the construction world with articles, guest profiles, and more. Follow us on Instagram at TCL underscore The Construction Life. Follow us on TikTok under the same handle and tweet us at TCL Construction. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, check out our link tree, and find exclusive discounts for listeners. Link is in the IG bio. Join the conversation on Facebook, the Construction Life community. Um, but now, how many years were you at uh, Ministry of Labor? I was at the Ministry of Labor from 2013 to 2018, so about five and change. Where were you primarily? Uh, Toronto. Toronto, was, eh? Yes. Oh, yeah, so the epicenter. Yeah, the ministry's broken out uh, based on the program. So I was uh, in the CHS program, Construction Health and Safety, um, and it's broken out uh, basically in regions. So I was uh, Central East region, Toronto okay. West office. So my office took care of anything from steels to the lake, from about Bayview, it jogged in and out, all the way to the border with Peel. So I was... a good space, good yeah, area. It was, so it was, it's the busiest place for construction in the entire country. Yeah. Um, so that's where uh, they kind of airdropped me in. So, sorry, how many years were you there for? Uh, I was there for five years and a bit. Did you, did the construction industry become better when you left it? It's a challenging question, right? Because right. I guess it was, there was a ramp up, there was more construction going on. But I mean, I'm not saying that, I, I, I just assume safety got better is getting better but we just recently had a kid in here you know 25 he still sees it he still sees the the ppe is not being addressed and people are right. not wearing it they're like it's right. just a it's an afterthought at that point right yeah so safety first of all it, it, it's hard to define right so every time i start a training class for example i ask the question to anybody who's in the room and, and generally i'm i'm training workers that work for rsg international and our divisions you know, I'll say, okay, well, what is safety, right? And um, you'll get answers like, oh, safety is policy, safety is procedures, safety is practices, uh, safety is systems. But fundamentally, safety is about the intrinsic value of a worker's life, right? So mm -hmm. if we remove all of the fluff and, and all of the um, things that come with occupational health and safety, the reason that we do it, right, is the value of the worker's life. Yeah. So I guess the question, you know, did I see safety improve uh, during my time there? Have I seen safety improve, you know, for all the years that I've been in safety? Because I come from construction first. Uh, there, there's been improvements, but it comes in waves, right? Like we can have a year, uh, I, I forget what year it was. I, I think it was 2020 going into 2021 where there was six worker fatalities in yeah, the span there was, of a there was week. a bad year. Right, so it, it comes and it goes. It, it comes in waves. I, I would say that the understanding of safety on an organizational level has gotten better, um, but the application, you know, that that that's really hard to quantify because we can have a small company that's you know got five or ten people, um, and we can have a large company that's got 500 people or 1,000 people, and you're going to get different numbers across the board, of course. right? Yeah. So it's going to kind of skew the statistics. Safety is very much um, people-focused and, and people-centric. So 
when we're looking at stats and things like that, we can say, okay, well, we've had this many fatalities this year versus this many the year before. Um, for example, 2018 in the U.S. in particular was a really bad year for trench collapses. Uh, I think they had, I think it was 2018, but they had 39 uh, fatal trench collapses, and that was the highest it's been in a decade, right? Wow. So a decade plus. So you know, Was that the same year that New York was seeing so many cranes topple? Remember there was a year yeah. there in New York where there was like yeah. a lot of cranes yeah. were dropping. That, I think that was 2019, if, okay. I, if I'm correct. But, yeah. I mean, it just it kind of goes to show you, you know, in 2018 when you would think, okay, where, you know, everything gets better year by year by year, uh, that's the year that they had the most fatal trench collapses, right? So, again, I, I would say it comes in waves, and it's, it's very particular. It's very particular to the organization. It's very particular to an industry. You're going to have different statistics among roofers than you'll have yeah. with plumbers or electricians or other trade people. You're going to have different statistics with, uh, you know, the heavy civil industry than you will with the ICI or low rise. I was res. just going to say the approval right. of projects. Right. So if right. we were getting more infrastructure coming in, you're right. getting more high rise coming in, you're getting more residential coming in, right. then obviously you're going to see some sort of a spike in that particular segment right yeah absolutely and and again it's 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 very situational right you can have a, a, a fantastic roofing company who values safety as a, a an organizational core value and they will have you know very few uh incidents and virtually no fatalities um but then you might have uh you know me and my buddy start a roofing company and, and don't do the due diligence uh, research behind it. And we may have injuries and fatalities. Like it's, it's based organization by organization, right? You can have huge organizations with phenomenal beefy safety programs and you'll still get critical injuries and you'll still get fatalities oh. because ultimately, even if the organization has an incredible system in place and an incredible safety team in place and everybody buys into safety, you know, at, at the levels that they, uh, that the company should buy in. So, you know, management supervision, things of that nature, you can't predict human fallibility. You cannot predict the individual worker at that point in time saying, you know what, it's going to take me too long to tie off. So I'm just going to kind of run over there to do this quick. So again, it's, it's, it's really hard to quantify because it's such a personal thing. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, I would like to say that there's been improvements. I mean, there's there's definitely been uh, legislation changes. Yeah. Um, you know, working at Heights, for example, uh, that came to be as a result of um, uh, the Dean Commission, which uh, was a commission that was enacted after the Metron uh, uh, swing stage collapse in 2009, yeah. uh, where four workers uh, were killed and one was injured. I actually know the uh, the inspector who responded to that event. He's a consultant now. He's uh, one of my closest uh, friends. Okay. Um, but working at Heights legislation was as a result of that. And rules, compliance, regulations. These are all super critical things. We use tools that require high safety standards. We have to meet compliance and regulations at all times, not just for governmental issues, but to avoid putting out employees at risk. Every tool requires a different kind of training and understanding of how to operate it safely. Every rule needs to be fully understood. We need to know who's qualified to do certain jobs and who's not. All these are important things we managers must take care of to keep safety high at all times. 
Now, getting it done is way harder than talking about it, but luckily there's a platform I found that can help you out with everything I just mentioned. A great software called Connect Team, which has training and quizzes that you can build in any way you'd like to make sure your employees always know how to handle certain tools. You can see who's done at a certain course or quiz and who didn't complete it and can't work with a certain tool until they do. You also have the ability to update if there's a new regulation you need everybody to be aware of ASAP. And there's a simple overview screen to track who saw it. Plus, Connect Team schedule allows you to add limitations for certain jobs. So if one of your employees is not qualified to do a certain job, the system will automatically notify you about it. The platform offers a lot more, such as easy access to playbooks and hazard reports. Just check them out for yourself. Connect Team has a free plan and a 14-day free trial. Try them today by checking out the link in the show notes. It's unfortunate, but it takes something catastrophic to, to kind of force through change at certain times. Um, so there, there are improvements, but you know, having said that, falls are still the number one killer in construction. Yeah. Right. Even after working at Heights, even after Metron. So again, it's very, it's situational. It's it's organizational. It's crew specific. It's worker specific, right? It's the long-term ones that I'm concerned about. Right. It's the chronic ones that I'm concerned about. Right. And, and I know that it's really easy for the industry to say, listen, harness PPE, get the work, do your job. But if you're taking off your respirator while someone's still cutting concrete, 10 feet away from you, you're inhaling that, right, which right. is going to be a problem down the line. For sure. Right. So it's, I almost would want to treat everything. It's just like, this is just how the industry is. We want workers that live a healthy lifestyle when they retire a physical sure. and mental lifestyle. Right. And yeah. that's not the most part. Like there's a lot of, like, I'm sure you probably saw it with your own, your dad and your grandfather. I saw it in my dad as a bricklayer. You know they're chipping brick, they're they're cutting brick, and there was there was no such thing as respirators, and there's right. all kinds of airborne dust, and that was not a healthy environment. And obviously, every probably every single one of them was smoking. Oh yeah, it was a pack of, an hour or something. It was just insane. So it's just that's, but they were hard workers, and that's, but they right. had health problems later on, right? For sure. I mean, like, I grew up in in heavy civil, right? I was uh, really from the moment I was born. I think. Uh, you know, my father tells a story that uh, when my mother was going into the hospital uh, to give birth to me, mm-hmm. uh, his boss at the time said, hey, you know, take as much time as you need. Take a week off, right? So sure enough, you know, it gets to the hospital. I was born. Uh, the next day he calls him and says, where are you? Why weren't you on site here? Right? <laughs> um, so it's been a week. Construction yeah, week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a day. I mean, I, I grew up in, in this industry. I was, uh, you know, six five, six, seven years old, uh, sitting on my father's lap while he's running an excavator on a Saturday afternoon. Um, I hope that still goes on. Yeah, I with, hope it still goes on. I see it right. occasionally, and I'm sure that a lot of guys don't want to share it on social media because right. they don't want to get the hate going on them, going, right. why do you have a child in such a dangerous... I mean, there's such value in having that moment right. in that child right. and the parent's life. It's uh, it, honestly, it's uh, it's it's part of my core memories. Me and uh, yeah. I have two brothers, and my middle brother and and I both ended up in construction, uh, and it's part of my core memories. It's uh, it's what made me who I am. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 look, all things considered, I, I grew up in construction. I did well in school. Um, didn't like it though, right? So was construction always the path? Construction was always the path. I mean, okay. for me, you know, I, I would have that moment in high school where I said, oh, you know what, maybe I should, because I was a history guy. 
you know, maybe, maybe I should be a history teacher. And then that summer would come and, you know, sure enough, June, I was 16 years old. I put my work boots on and now I'm working again. And then I'd go back in September and say, I, ah, you know, I don't want to be a teacher. Mm. So construction was, uh, whether I wanted it or not, it, it was always the path for me. It, it, you know, hindsight being 2020 is definitely what I wanted. Um, so it was always the path for me. It, it, I started, you know, because we're being recorded, I'll say I started at 16 years old. Um, <laughs> you started at a young age, John. Yeah, I started, I started as a, a, at a young age. And, uh, you know, I remember my, my very first day I was brought to a job site. My, and, you know, there was no sheltering. My father kind of, he was a superintendent. At the, he still is a superintendent. But uh, he dropped me off with, uh, with a bridge crew. They had just finished, uh, I think they finished, pouring the wing walls at Mavis and Dundas. There's a, there's a bridge CN underpass there. Yeah. And um, he dropped me off, and the, the foreman at the time was, uh, his name was Claude. Right? Real, I'll never forget his hands. His hands were... Like mitts. Oh, I can't even tell you, like welder's gloves. Yeah, yeah. And he dropped me off there, and he looked at uh, Claude, and he says, you know, don't go easy on him. And I spent that entire day uh, shoveling, or shoveling uh, stones into the bucket of a bobcat while a guy who was clearly at least 320 pounds sat tight in the bobcat like a tuna can <laughs> and just drove it around and followed me around. I'll never forget the next morning waking up and my hands were just stuck. Like as if I, I couldn't let go of that shovel. You had to right? pull the, I, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had the, to pull the fingers back. It, it's weird because, you know, I, I've spent so much time in construction. I'll never forget that pain, like just in my hands. So it hurts to straighten them out. Oh man. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I did, but, that's how I grew up. So I started, you know, as a, a gopher, like most people do in this industry. And then uh, I'd go back every summer. Um, I'd go back on March break sometimes, right, to, to, you know, make money for a week, whatever it was. Um, and I'd do everything. They, I worked for a company called Dagmar Construction, which is where I spent uh, okay. most of my life. And uh, re they were recently acquired by Bird Construction, who's, you know, another phenomenal That's company. That's a big company uh, well, yeah. Yeah, phenomenal organization. Um, but, you know, when I was growing up, it was privately held, family-owned, uh, you know, non-union, 80 years running. Uh, they took very good care of us. Wow, yeah. how did they pull that off? I'll tell you. The door it, must have been knocked all the time. Like It, it, it was, um, but they took such good care of us that, that we never even considered it. Like, I remember going through, I think, you know, in my time there, one or two votes. Um, they took such good care of us that, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't even consider it. Now, you know, having said that, I realized very, you know, very clearly that not every company was like Dagmar in that sense where they took care of their workers. So, so you know, this isn't me saying that... Um, Anything against the union. I think that the unions have uh, a very important place in, in construction yeah, in our trades. For sure they do. Um, I think now, uh, after the acquisition, they've, they've gone union. But, you know, having... S I, I make that point to just go back to say that everybody at Dagmar learned whatever, you know, whatever we could, right? We were never barred from learning a piece of equipment. We were never barred from um, doing something different. So I could be, you know... Uh, I could be on a pipe crew uh, for four months, and then all of a sudden now I'm I'm building forms with a bridge crew. Or so they encourage growth. A hundred percent. All their employees. Yeah. I was I was learning how to run excavators right uh, on on lunches. Right, I would say to the operator, okay, uh, you know, Mike. Mike was the only the only one I can think of at this time. Mike Guadagnolo, one of the best uh, yeah. excavator operators I can remember. 
would say, okay, Mike, well, you eat your, your panino. I'm going to go on the, uh, you know, I'm going to go on the pile there and just start throwing things around. And, you know, you'd make it rock back and forth and almost tip it over a couple of times. Um, but we were able to learn everything, right? So I progressed, uh, you know, through, through Dagmar and, you know, credit to all of the people who taught me, right? Not just my father. It was, um, you know, other superintendents that uh, that took me under their wing and taught me how to, you know, grade with batter boards. Um, you know, not only grade with batter boards, also taught me how to grade with uh, GPS systems when they first came out. Uh, taught me how to run dozers, uh, you know, operators um, who would take the time to teach you and, and, and show that care and uh, really that, that, that they wanted you to grow, yeah. right? So do you I, see that today? I do. Um, you know, again, I think that my exposure is, is very different. You know, having left Dagmar in 2013 to join the ministry, and then I spent about 18 months as a consultant before I, I landed over with, uh, with RSG, where I am now. Yeah. Um, so my exposure is kind of contained, but I, I do see that today. I think that, um, that's look, it's the best form of mentorship, Right. And uh, it's a different school. Yeah, it's uh, it's you need that, right? Mm -hmm. Anybody who's who's kind of gatekeeping and hoarding information, you're never going to get anything out of that, right? You, well, you have to want is, to teach. Yeah, the go-to is um, you get employers. I fault them because you get employers right. who don't want to spend the time and effort and money ultimately training this kid. And right. they're in the back of their head. They're thinking that this kid's going to take off and go elsewhere and benefit from my teachings. Right, right. And I'm like, you could look at it that way, but you could also look at it like he's going to contribute to the industry, which collectively we should all be doing that. So if you had a hand in teaching this individual, somebody else is going to have a hand in teaching that individual, and it should keep on going with that point. And it's all the better, like you just expressed in this right now. It wasn't just one person. Right. You got a lesson, if not lessons, from many people. And those were valuable lessons over the course of your 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 career, right? And so more of these kids should be doing that. So employers oh, yeah. should not be looking at it as a negative. They should be thinking about it like I'm contri contributing to the industry. So this this one individual is going to grow up and be another teacher, and so on and so on. And that's what we really need and want, right? Yeah. Again, it's anything that's that's happened in my life, right? Where I am today. Um, I attribute to people who believed in me at certain points in time. I mean, you know, I went, look, like I said, I was an intelligent kid. I always did, you know, well in school. Uh, didn't, it, it just, it wasn't for me. Um, I learned what I know and I am where I am because of people who believed in me throughout my entire life, whether it was at Dagmar, whether it was at the Ministry of Labor, you know, as a consultant, um, or where I am now, you know, who I am is a result of, of all of the, the mentors that I've had and, and the things that I've learned and, and who I will be in two years, you know, one week, one month, one year, two years is going to be as a result of everything else that I can learn. And if I can, you know, I do take it uh, seriously, I to teach people coming up underneath me, particularly in, in safety, because this is my profession now, I try and, and mentor them the best way that I can too, and provide um, them with as much guidance as I can. Um, 
Dagmar did it uh, phenomenally. Uh, they're still family to me, right? My yeah. my middle brother's still there. He's uh, he's it's uh, gonna kill me because I don't remember the title, but he's he's <laughs> like a senior project manager or something over there. Okay. Um, my cousin. Uh, he's gonna give you a card. Another one. Sam, don't give me a card. <laughs> I'm not gonna keep it. Um, my my I call him my cousin, but he's he's more of. Uh, Paisano, right? Uh, Gaetano, he's a superintendent there now. My father's still there. Like, basically, almost everybody who, who I grew up with over there is still there. You know, uh, obviously, not the, uh, you know, the Nick the Bulls of the yeah, world yeah, and yeah, the yeah. sewer foremans that I, that I came up under. Um, but they're all still there, and now they're teaching people coming up into the industry under them, right? And, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, life is about constantly learning and constantly getting better and, and not gatekeeping information. What I will say is that the reason that, that RSG, you know, above being an industry leader and everything that they do well in, in the road safety industry, the reason that, that RSG is such a good organization is because of the amount of time and effort that they put in building their people as leaders. Yeah. And they always want to see you grow and learn and do better. And I think that, again, you know, I don't have exposure to, haven't worked many other places, but I, I, that's, that's what we need in this industry. We need people like, you know, my uh, cohorts on the senior leadership team and, and my boss and the owners of the organization. We need more people like them who invest in their people, knowing that, yeah, knowing that, that, we may not always stay with the organization, but we're going to be better because of our time there. Yep. And I think that that mentality, that growth mindset, uh, and that want and willingness to, to help and to build people, it makes all the difference in the world. John, why do um, I get the sense that, because you've got a lot of safety experience, why don't most contractors, tradespeople in general, want to have the safety conversation is it just because it's not cool like building something and driving a piece of machinery and creating a structure out of a hole in the ground these are all cool things i get it they're all cool things but none of that happens unless safety is paramount right right i i would say that that maybe it's not that they don't want to have the conversation maybe Maybe it's that they're not giving it the attention that it yeah. deserves. Uh, they're not giving their people. And when, when I say they're not giving safety the attention that it deserves, what I mean is that they're not giving their own people the attention that they deserve uh, in keeping them safe. The, the reality is, is that safety, this is, you know, it's weird to say, but safety doesn't make money. Safety saves money. And when, when we talk about um, you know, the cost of safety. So my, my personal opinion is, you know, we have a, a safety department uh, at RSG, but we also have safety departments within all of our individual divisions as well um, because the organization understands the value of safety and understands, uh, you know, and, and I'm talking about the fundamental value of safety and protecting yeah. lives. Yeah. Um, but we also use third-party consultants, right? So we have this, you know, series of departments and, and all of this money spent on safety. And in addition to that, we're spending more money getting third-party consultants to come in to keep us honest, right? Because obviously um, it's easy to develop a bias working for an organization. You when get complacent. You get complacent. Totally. You develop kind of a bias and, 
and you may not see things always. Um, Looking for cutting edge solutions for your spray foam needs? Look no further than Elasticamp Specialty Chemicals. With a remarkable track record spanning over three decades, Elasticamp stands as an industry leading supplying contractors across Canada with top grade closed cell, open cell and specialty foam products and accessories. Experience hassle-free spraying in both summer and winter with Insulthane Extreme. Canada's groundbreaking HFO closed cell product. Time is precious and we know it. Optimize your efficiency and avoid downtime by choosing the best products with the best technical and customer support. Elevate your spray foam game today with Insulthane spray foam products by Elasticam. Give them a try today. Visit their website at www.elasticam.com or give them a call at 1-877-787-2436. The way somebody else will see them. So I, I have a fundamental belief that consultants play an important role in our industry um, because they will keep companies honest. They will keep safety departments honest. They will help you to see things that you may have blinders on and may not be able to see. Um, so, you know, I think when we're having the conversation about safety and it comes down to money because, look, in, in our world, everything's going to come down to, to money at the end of the day. I don't think a lot of organizations realize the indirect cost of incidents and accidents at work. Like, I'm not talking necessarily about, you know, the WSIB statistic that uh, a lost time injury on average costs about $30,000. Okay, like, you can quantify that based on WSIB statistics. And that's true. But what people don't take into consideration is that it's not that you know, WSIB, uh, $30,000 that you're going to have to worry about. What you're going to have to worry about is, number one, is the ministry going to shut down your job to do an investigation? Are they going to shut down your job proactively, uh, you know, until you can fix your, your issues on site? What is the cost to being shut down for a week, right? So that's one cost. That's an indirect cost. Um, let's just say you get charged by the Ministry of Labor. Okay, well, now it's not the potential fine, which you know, is up to $2 million per charge in Ontario and $500,000 per charge to an individual. So now you're not just worried about that fine. Now you have to hire a lawyer to represent you in Defense, court. Yeah. And, and what's that going to cost you? So there's all, yeah. there's all these indirect costs um, with not taking safety seriously, right? There's all of these indirect costs. But even then, I think when you put all that off to the side, that individual may never go home again, right? So it's, it's to me, it's a matter of, of ethical accountability is, is what I would say. I think that, you know, when I train classes, I, I say to people, I ask them a question, like, who are you accountable to at work, right? And I want to see what they say because some people say, oh, well, I'm accountable to get the job done and I'm accountable to make sure that all of the material is on site. I'm accountable to make sure that... You probably get all those answers first, eh? Yeah, Instead of yeah. the actual human accountability. You, it, it would shock you, right? But again, look, you know, I respect this industry enough to know that this is... It's, it's a prideful industry. It's, it's, uh, it's a very proud industry. So, yeah, you, you're going to get the people who... Most people who just say, oh, yeah, well, I'm accountable to make the money and, you know, get the job done and this and that fundamentally you're accountable to your family yeah. that's why you're at work and i and i ask everybody the question if if you won 50 million dollars on lotto max would you come to work on monday swinging a hammer or chipping concrete that's the honest question some people may say yes right but at the end of the day i'm going to tell you that 90 percent of people will say no because now they don't have the the need to feed their family anymore and go to work to make that money so 
the, the follow-up to that is, is your paycheck worth your life at that point in time, right? I, and it doesn't matter what your position is. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you're making... It never should be. Right. You can make $300,000 a year. You're accountable to the people that you go home to, whether it's your spouse, your children, uh, you know, your, your, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, Family, even yeah. your dog, yeah. right? Somebody is relying on you to get home at the end of every day. Every single morning that we get up, grab our lunchboxes, put our boots on and step out that door, we are making a promise to the people in that house saying, I'm coming back today. I'm coming back to you today. So again, I think when, when we move the money to the side and, and, and we put all you know, the, the cost of safety to the side, there's an ethical, there's an ethical obligation as organizations and not even, you know, at that macro level as an organization, if you're a, a, a supervisor, right, you have an obligation to the folks in your care to keep them safe, right? The entire Occupational Health and Safety Act in Ontario and, and OSHA in the U.S. Um, is written on the understanding that we have an obligation to send people home safe, the end of every day yep. so you know it's a, to get back to the question why organizations don't like to have that talk it's a mindset right and i'll tell you right now i've never i've done you know a bunch of fatality investigations i've done a bunch of critical injury investigations i will tell you right now that that changes everything that changes everything and not only does it change the fact that you know this may cost you X amount of dollars. And, and when we're talking about indirect costs, by the way, that's all profit, right? So if you're doing work and you're making, uh, you know, five points, that's your, that's your profit margin, yeah. okay? And you make a million dollars and you do a million dollars worth of work a year, right? And then you get fined by the Ministry of Labor, $50,000. What, what did you work for yeah, to begin exactly. with, right? You're gonna have to do another million dollars worth of work to cover that. There's... Um, I'm going to shout him out here, but sure, there's, totally. there's, there's a consultant out there, uh, Kevin Brown okay. from Cobalt Safety Consulting. Kevin is uh, a former Ministry of Labor inspector as well. He's one of my training officers. Uh, Kevin does a course called, uh, it's, a, it's a Gold Seal certified course called Supervisor Due Diligence. And um, that course will change anybody's mind, right? I don't, whatever level of the organization that you, you're in, that course will change anybody's mind about the impacts of safety. I think... I think I think he's got a website just for that course. It's supervisor due diligence. How often does he do it? How many days is it? It's usually a one to two day course. Okay. I think supervisor due diligence.com. Kev, don't somebody listening, just yeah. Google it and you'll find don't it. Don't hate me if uh, no, 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 if I got fine. that wrong. Um, yeah. but you know, he'll talk about all of these things. He'll talk about all of the the costs involved with with unsafe work and all of the that stuff. He'll talk about, you know, all of the stuff that, that organizations want to hear. Right? How much is it going to cost me? What's my exposure? And things of that nature. But it'll also bring it back to the fact that we have an obligation to send people home to their families every day as organizations. Every fatality I've ever done has changed the life of whoever was involved in it. Whether it was the supervisor of the worker who was killed, whether it was the owners of the organization that the worker worked for, whether it was the, the individual's co-workers, it has yeah. changed everything. Right? It changed everything in their lives. I've never met somebody who's gone through a fatality at work 
even, you know, at arm's length and has been the same. You can't. No. Because what, what, what happens then is you realize the humanity around you, right? Part of it. That's you, when you realize. But it takes that. It, and it's That's unfortunate. unfortunate. <laughs> right? It's, it's unfortunate, but. Yeah. The amount of thinks. GCs that I talk to, when they're running businesses and they're looking at numbers, when they start describing their workforce, they start quantifying the mouths that I have to feed. So right. they look at the individual person that's working for them, subcontractor, employer, or supplier, right, right. whatever it is, right? They just think about, I'm responsible for their mouths that they have to feed, so their right. family, right? But it's just, nobody really brings up what you just brought up. Nobody ever talks about that. If this individual is gone, right. the impact associated with those mouths to feed now. Right. So I think the conversation should be with everybody looking at anybody that's working for them or sub, or you guys are all brothers and sisters in this industry. Right. If they're gone, their life is gone, the impact that takes, it's not just about the mouths that you have to feed regarding their job or if I have to let them go or I have to give them more hours or whatever it is. It's if the individual's gone completely. Right. That's the right. impact, yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it honestly breaks my heart. I mean, look, the, 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 the fact that I got into the Ministry of Labor is, is, is an entire fluke to begin with. Right, like I, I applied to the Ministry of Labor as a joke when I did. I had no interest in safety when I applied to the ministry. The running joke at the time um, was that I would, you know, quote unquote, die at Dagmar, meaning that I would spend my whole career at Dagmar retire. and I'd, yeah. I'd retire there. And, and nobody is funny because I, you know nobody ever really retired. Like I had, I had supers and foremen that were seventy two years old. That I, I promise you now could still get that job done better than anybody else underneath them, <laughs> right? There was, yeah, there was I don't an, doubt it. There was an operator. His name was Enyo. He was a greater operator. I think that guy worked until he was close to 80. And still, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't find. He was find, irreplaceable. Yeah, you wouldn't find better than Enyo. So, you know, it's, um, it, that was the running joke at the time. And, and at that time, I was, uh, I was a supervisor. I was running jobs. And th the beauty about Dagmar was that if there wasn't enough jobs for every super to run, we would go to work on the other jobs. So we were doing track extension for, uh, for Metrolinx uh, in Stouffville. Okay. It's about six kilometers of extension. And, and uh, I was having a rough day. I was shooting grade at that time. Um, I was having a rough day and I was complaining. I said, I said something along the lines of, ah, you know what, I'm just going to go. I'm going to go work somewhere else. Like, I, get, I don't want to do this anymore. And uh, Artur Santos, who was uh, a dozer operator at the time, he made a joke. He goes, hey, you're going to die here. It's like, you're not going anywhere. So I went back to, uh, it was GPS at that time, so I did a topo. Went back to the trailer, plugged my, you remember those little internet rocket sticks? Yeah. Right before, yeah, yeah, before yeah. we had. Now uh, I, got, I got connectivity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I plugged it in, started uh, emailing these shots to the, uh, to the consultant, uh, the engineering consultant that was there. And I don't know, I don't know how it came across my, my screen. It was like, you know, divine intervention, but I saw uh, an ad, a Google ad at the time, uh, Yahoo or Google, whatever it was, for the Ministry of Labor hiring inspectors. I didn't do safety, okay? Not to say we didn't work safe. Dagmar, we were very safety conscious. But it wasn't my interest, so I, I applied as a joke. And this was a long application, man. Like, it took me an hour to get through it. So I applied as a joke. I printed out the email that I got that said, okay, you've successfully applied. And I ran back to Arthur, and I said, look, I told you, I'm going to go somewhere. <laughs> um Honestly, the joke was on me, though, because uh, 
I never thought I was going to get that job. I didn't have any of the, you know, the what I assumed were qualifications needed to get that job. Um, what was the assumption? The, I wasn't a safety guy, right? Like I remember safety the, rep, safety accreditations. Yeah, like, like, okay. some some like that. Somebody who does safety for a living. That's what I had thought. Okay. Um, and then I remember about two months go by, and I get a phone call, and they they their selection process. Like you go and you do a, a test first, and and I remember being in a room. It was at uh, I think it was Jane and, and Wilson. Uh, we were in a room at a hall, and there was I want to say hundred of us and they put a test in front of us and they said okay you have x amount of time to complete 60 uh problem solving questions and then you have uh same amount of time to complete these uh like pattern recognition questions it was it was a weird test unlike anything i've ever done okay but i remember even kind of sitting in that area before we started that test and after we finished that test and and i'm talking to people who I went to university for this and I've been working safety with this person and I've been doing this for so long. And I, and I thought to myself, I was like, why am I even doing this? Right? Like, this is a joke that's gone too far now. Um, but I, I kind I stuck with it the entire time. I didn't think I was getting that job the entire time stuck with it. A couple difficult months. Difficult answer or difficult questions or it, it was, it was a difficult test. Like I think the, uh, I, I don't want to throw out numbers, but I don't think many people, pass that test, quote unquote. I think it's more of a, a personality identifier test, and things of that nature. Um, but a lot of people did that test and then a couple months go by and here I am thinking I didn't even get it. So I didn't even tell anybody at work that I was doing any of this, right? Uh, Nobody came back and rubbed it in your face going, told you, you're staying here. No, no. Oh, okay. it's like I didn't. I that, didn't that conversation of that day, that week, that's done. We're moving on to yeah, the next conversation. we're moving on. So <laughs> a couple months go by, I go in for an interview and, and, uh, again, I'm sitting in a room and there's about 10 other people there and, and I'm in my jeans. And uh, I forget at the time if it was a, like a, a orange Dagmar t-shirt or something like that. But I literally just kind of, we were working down the road. So I was like, this is perfect. I just shot over for a second. I said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to Rona. I got to get some. <laughs> and so I, I did an interview. Uh, this podcast episode has been sponsored by Class and Bronze Limited. Authorized Canadian and U.S. wholesale distributor of Pagan heavy-duty, high-performance tile leveling systems and installation tools. Choosing to buy outstanding and beautiful tiles also requires buying exceptional tile leveling system. For hassle-free installation and an exceptional leveled finish, choose Pagan. Imitate it, never duplicate it. Available at Amazon, select ProSol stores, and purchased at www.tilelevelingsystems.shop. You can also find Pagan on social at Tile Leveling Systems and their website, www.pagrin.com. I didn't hear nothing again two months go by. Then I get called for a third interview or a second interview, sorry. And, and I go and do that interview. And again, you know, two months go by. I didn't really kind of put it all together that this was working out for me. Um, but then another couple of months go by. It was like an eight to nine month process to get hired. Uh, I get a phone call from the uh, public service uh, HR department in, I think it was Sault Ste. Marie I got that phone call from. I almost didn't even take that call. So I was like, Who, who's calling me from the Sioux? Um, and they said, hey, you know, uh, we'd like to offer you the position in the Toronto office. There was four spots for Scarborough office and Toronto offices. That's just what we called them. So uh, you had C Central East Toronto East, which was the Scarborough office. Okay. And then you had Central East Toronto West, which was the Toronto proper, I guess you could say, office. And there were four spots. So they offered me this job. I said, oh, you know. I said, okay, I'll, 
I'll get back to you. And I remember at that time I went to, uh, I went to my boss at the time, one of the owners. Uh, and I said, you know, I, I got offered this job. I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I should take it. And he looked at, cause it was a, first of all, it was a lot less money than I was making at the time. But, uh, he looked at me and he said, you went through all of that and you got offered a spot. If you don't take this job, I'll fire you. <laughs> Right, and then he said, "Look, you know, if you, it, this is what I loved about that place." He said, "Look, if you don't like it, you have a home here. You come back. You can always come back." Mm-hmm. So, started my my ministry journey. Uh, we trained uh, for about eight nine months before we were given our badge because uh, the inspector is a provincial offenses officer. Um, so we do eight months of training, which is in class and shadowing another inspector. Uh, so went through that whole training uh you know period um i got my badge and then i i went out in the field and and you know started to to do the job as an inspector but i'll tell you the truth even at that time even after all that training and after doing you know and that whole application process and even after getting my badge and going out and inspecting projects i still didn't know if i cared that much about safety the 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 one thing that that changed everything for me was my first fatality investigation. Yeah, that first fatality investigation changed how I personally viewed safety, uh, motivated me to continue in safety. Um, it really kind of lit the fire that uh, that has fueled me since that day. Uh, Up t- until then, what was the most critical thing that ever happened on a job site for you? You know, I'd get, so that was the big one that was, and, and that was only a couple of No, no, but before after. that, so before you took yeah. the EML uh, job, like, what, like maybe maybe a cut finger or maybe, yeah. like things yeah. like that, right? Things, Smaller things. Things like that. I mean, somebody throws their back out, yeah. which happened to be me even. Like, I threw my back <laughs> out once. Yeah. Uh, uh, somebody throws their back out, somebody, uh, you know, cuts their finger, whatever it is. We, I, I, I will say right now that in my entire career in construction at Dagmar, I was never um, exposed to or experienced anything critical because of the level of care that the company, not only the company had, we were a family. Yeah. We looked at each other like family. So, you know, if I was looking over at another uh, foreman or a supervisor or a laborer or an operator, you know, I didn't look at them as, you know, there's, there's Tony Slippers, who's an excavator operator, and I don't care about him after after five thirty six o'clock. We were a family, so we we looked after each other. So we had the organization looking out for us, and we had each other that we would look out for each other. So I never experienced anything really critical, and and I don't think that's why I took safety that's seriously. Yeah. I don't think that's why I I was even sure I wanted to be an inspector. You know, for the first couple of months uh, after getting my badge, I was still like almost bored in a sense. Was it awkward for you to walk onto job sites? No, as a as a an agent, it was uh, agents a heavy word uh, okay. as an inspector. <laughs> um, inspector, sorry. It, so it, it was it it was and it wasn't because my approach is very different. I, I come from the field, you know. I I don't come from uh, an institution. I came from the field, so I, I approach things with the level of respect that. I got respect in turn. Um, but you're not the norm. Uh, I'm just assuming. So th- Regarding inspectors, they're mostly from institution, not from the field? You know what? You'd be, I, I don't know how it is now since okay. I've left in 2018, but you'd be surprised. There, when I was coming in, um, it was me, 
uh, Mike Lundy, who's still there. He he came from uh, came from Four Seasons Construction, Ferrari Paving. Like he was a super. So okay. he he had the same background as me. Uh, there was another uh, fellow named Jerry. Uh, Jerry was an assistant super, I believe, at Acon or Dufferin. So there was a lot of right. guys. There, there, was a, okay. there was a lot of us that came from the field. There was a good mix. I want to say that there were people who came from safety. Uh, some of them came from consulting companies. And a lot of, uh, a lot of folks that came from industry. So I, I don't want to say it wasn't the norm. Like, everybody develops their own different approach, right? Um, but you're right. There's probably a better two-way street of right, respect right, coming from somebody who came from the right. field versus coming from somebody that came from the office, right? It, it all, it, look, when they see you with a blue hard hat on, with Ontario plastered around the front, or they see, you know, your, your Equinox or your minivan pull up with Ontario plastered across the side, it already invokes um, feelings of, of, of fear or yeah. chaos yeah. Or, or distrust or anything like that. So it doesn't matter who you are as an inspector, at the point they see you. Yes. They're, they're not going to appreciate you being there at the point that they see Well, most. I shouldn't say everybody doesn't appreciate it, but they're not going to appreciate seeing you when you show up. Yep. It's, it's, it's all about interaction. It's all about, you know, I respect the gopher to the same degree that I respect the site supervisor. 100%. Because both of them got up in the morning at 4.30, 5 o'clock. They both put on their boots, grabbed a lunchbox, and came to work. And they so, both want to go home. And that's it. So... Yeah. You know, it's, for me, my approach was, was, was kind of what made me. Um, when I had first started, I was doing uh, really proactive stuff. I would show up to a site. I'd say, hey, you guys need to tie off, get off the roof, things like that. Or, uh, you know, where's your hard hat? Uh, just basic things like that. And I'm going to be honest. I, I, w I was bored for the first couple of months being an inspector because I was still fresh out of building things. I was still fresh out of, out of heavy civil. Yeah. But that fatality happened, and everything just changed. It was, uh, uh, you know, it was July twenty fourth, two thousand fourteen, and it was um, it was an individual who uh, was buried in a cave in, and uh, that again, uh, you know, divine providence. My first exposure to a fatality was something that I did every day in my life. Almost, you know, I worked with trenches. I worked with excavators. I worked with uh, sewer and, and things like that. So, you know, divine providence, that was the first, because at that time, not knowing if I wanted to continue in the ministry, that was what I was exposed to. That event, you know, changed the course of, of my career and changed my focus and, and changed my drive. It was that one event that that gave me the reassurance that, I need to do this, right? That I need to, to, to pursue this because that very point in time, you know, looking down at this excavation, knowing that there's somebody stuck underneath there and that we couldn't get him out, it, you know, and it took 15 hours to, uh, to coordinate the uh, removal. Is it was a residential? Or? It, it was a residential. So it was, um, it was a, a newly built semi-detached, uh, infill house and they were bringing out the uh they were basically bringing out the sanitary lines okay so they had cut two trenches in the shape of a y from each garage footing and they kind of met at a stem and headed out towards the municipal and at that time the individual was uh was down in there putting uh, a cap on the clean out they were going to pack up and continue the next day and um 
the spoil down. pile the spoil pile was too close to the edge and the spoil pile went first and then the wall went second and uh and yeah it was uh you know that 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 changed everything for me how old was uh he or she he was 34 years old um his brother was on site with him his father was on site with him uh he had uh two young kids and uh Yeah, it's uh to this day like and that that was my first. I've done more after that. That 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 will always stick with me as the motivating factor to to do what I do, right? To continue to do what I do and and to try and be the you know, the most effective that I can be. Um because at that point in time I just remember, you know, getting there and it was it was chaos. It was uh So I got this happened around 2:30. I had gotten the call. So earlier that day, it, you know, it was a decent day. It was sunny, it was beautiful. It was July 24th and that morning I was uh I stopped uh they were a crew of guys repairing concrete on a balcony at an apartment building. They were, you know, six stories up whatever it was. They weren't tied off. So, you know, I I called them all down. I I gave the uh supervisor a summons to appear in court and I felt good about it that day. I was like, "Ah, you know, I I potentially saved these guys' lives and got a coffee. I was driving uh I was driving north. I got a phone call, zipped around and I just remember getting there and it was absolute chaos. There were fire trucks, there were uh, police cars and you know, an ambulance there and um when the ministry gets there, if the police have determined that there's no uh criminality involved in this, the ministry t- assumes control of that scene. So they are they are in charge of everything nothing you know moves from that site nothing uh leaves until the inspector at that time says it can so they'll put what's called a, a barrier order on a job is uh, section 54 1i of the act um to say no, nothing gets moved nothing gets disturbed um but i just you know i remember and i I started it's weird because even though this was the first time that I was dealing with something like this it, it's it's almost like your training kicks in and and you start it's almost robotic right okay I got to do this boom 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 and you don't really process the human side of things until after for me it was the morning you know we we were there uh me and uh, another inspector Vince was also uh, now in the private sector uh, working for somebody we were there from i want to say 2:45 till about 5 the next morning uh, for the cuz once once they had extricated the worker the chief coroner uh, came to or the coroner's office came to pronounce and and you know uh, take him away i remember going home and uh It, it when I got home it hit like a truck I just I just sat there and cried and and I I'm not you know and I'm not ashamed to say that because You're I just went through this being, man. yeah and I just went through this whole ordeal and and it hit me at that point in time like the, you know the, this individual's father was on site with him his brother was on site when this happened and I and I went immediately back to my younger brother at Dagmar and as much as I worked with him and my father over there and as much as I worked with him and and the humanity of everything just was like a gut punch. So, you know, that first one kind of set me on the path and gave me um purpose in in safety and 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 what I do. Um 
And it, it, I, I will say this, it never gets any easier. Like, you know, how can it? It, it, it doesn't. And I think that a lot of the time we run the risk. Part of the reason that I left the Ministry of Labor, because it, I get that question all the time. Like, why would you leave the government? Why would you leave the Ministry of Labor? Part of the reason that I left was because I wanted to be more proactive, right? I wanted to be on the proactive side of safety. I, I didn't want to, not that the ministry is not proactive. They do a lot of great work. The, you know, the CPO, the chief prevention officer and all the programs that they have in place. And, um, but in Toronto in particular, it was, uh, it was very much reactive. So I'd agree. I didn't want to be a cleanup crew anymore. I wanted to be a bomb squad, right? I wanted to yeah. go defuse the bomb before it went off as opposed to piece the site back together. Um, but yeah, everything was, everything stemmed from that one incident and uh, that individual plays, even though we never met in life, that individual plays such a large part of my day-to-day -day life in safety. It's, it's, you've never met, but you know everything about him. Yep. Yep. Yep, absolutely. It's Since 2015, Groove has been built off the foundation of experience, innovation, and the continued desire to evolve how work is done even after the trade has mastered it. The people at Groove have more than 40 years of experience in the drywall and construction industry. Their commitment to both the growth of the company and the individuals Groove simply calls clients is unparalleled. Their mission is to empower builders, designers, and architects with the freedom to build on their designs, to encompass creativity in all of their projects without sacrificing quality, efficiency, or affordability. They accomplish this by providing production-focused solutions and design workflows that allow builders to overcome their construction limitations through drywall. They see drywall in a different way. Innovate, inspiration, integrity. Groove Industries. Check out Groove Industries at www.grooveind.com and on social at grooveind and reach out to them on their email orders at grooveind.com or steve at grooveind.com and andre j at grooveind.com and also their phone number is 416-629-3756. I, I can't tell you it's how, how much of a role that he plays in my life just motivating me to try as best as I can to, to prevent that from happening to anybody else's family. And that's what I really want is that, um, and conversations like this is that people listen, have a second glance at what's going on right. in your day to day. Right, right. Like, sure. It's going perfectly smooth. No different than how you just described it, how you were average day going to work, saw an offense, issued it, had a coffee and then, got the call right right and construction is about split second moments that yep. will change so many different people's lives in an instant right. and if we can be a lot more preventative and just be conscious of it there's never a dollar value that's associated with getting that job getting that task no. getting anything done that requires the loss of life there never should be. It doesn't matter no. how big of a corporation it is. It doesn't right. matter if it's the biggest construction company in Canada. Right. Or you're a small mom and pop shop or a one man pickup civic driving right. handyman. Right. Just take a moment and just realize the loss of life and what it would do to you and to the person and to everybody around you, right? Yeah, it's um look. It's hard. Nobody deserves I don't care what profession you're in, I don't care what setting you work in nobody deserves to go to work to earn a living to better themselves or the lives of their families and get seriously injured or killed as a result nobody there are certain professions that you know that is inherently 
possible. Uh, you know, police officers, um, firefighters, uh, even paramedics, where that's an inherent danger that's part of the profession, there is no reason that a carpenter should go to work, fall and die. There is no reason. That is entirely preventable. Right? Yeah. And, like, I, I don't know if you follow the, uh, you know, these Instagram uh, safety pages. I follow some of them because a lot of yeah. them approach me, right? Right. There's, there's one. Uh, it's called S1. It's my underscore S1. And, okay. and his name's Phil. He's a former inspector. He's the guy who uh, responded to the Metron case with the four workers there. And, and Phil will post videos that will just make your skin crawl, right? And, and a lot of them are videos from, you know, other, other countries where we'll say safety is not as heavily enforced or whatever. But it'll it'll make creative your, scaffolding. Yeah, it'll <laughs> it, it'll make your skin crawl. And and the reason that I follow those pages is because it, it, it I, I need to see what goes through people's heads, or at least I need to speculate of what goes through somebody's head when they're doing something like that. And you can do something for twenty years, and nothing bad will ever happen. If it is unsafe, I don't care if you're in and out of trenches for twenty, twenty five years, thirty years of your life and nothing bad has ever happened, it takes one second in time for that trench to collapse for any given reason to bury you alive. It takes one second, one wrong foot placement for you to fall off of a roof. It takes one second, you know, to, to, to not inspect your, your extension cord for any defects or anything like that for you to get shocked. Electrocution. Right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's one second in time. And it doesn't matter whether you've been doing it 20 years, 30 years, 15 years, 10 years. The thing that I, I, I like to tell people is that I thought I was invincible in construction too, especially everybody, when I was a young man. Everybody thinks that. You know, it, look, I'm not old, but I'm not young. But when yeah. I was a young guy, you know, I, was, uh, I tried to be Hercules, right? I was picking up all the, all the heavy things on the site. We the all did way. it, John. We all like that. None of, you know, none of us are invincible. Nope. And we're all going to die one day. There yes. is no reason that it should be at work. None at all. And, and that's the way that I see it. And that's the way that I approach. I approach safety, you know, differently than maybe somebody else does. I'm very people focused. I think that connection is where you make change in safety. The connection to the people and, and respecting what they do and not undermining them, right? The worst thing that I, look, when I was in construction, the one thing that I hated more than anything was somebody saying, oh, well, you know, my book says you're doing it wrong. No, you shouldn't be doing that. It's, uh, you got to respect the position, right? Who, who you're talking to. Yeah. Approach people from a place of respect, right? Develop that human connection with them. And you will change. You will change their perspectives. You will change how they see things and how they view things, Right. A lot of the unsafe things that happen in construction are based on habits, right? Learned habits. And maybe, you know, it came from a place of, of good. Maybe you had a, a foreman who, you know, he was 60 years old and he's been doing something the same way for the last 40 years of his work in life. And he taught you that the way that you're going to do, you know, X, Y, or Z uh, is the quickest way to do it and the most efficient way to do it. And if you're, you know, uh, uh, an apprentice, and you're learning from somebody like that, there's no ill intent in that. There's yeah. no ill intent in that way of teaching. They're trying to teach you the most efficient way to do something. And I think that now we see in the industry, we see kind of 
we're on the verge of a change of mindset with a younger generation of workers coming in and the older generation of workers on their way out, you're starting to see a change in, in, in how seriously people take safety. You're starting to. It's not perfect. No. But when we develop these habits over time, right, um, of I'm going to do it this way, I'm going to do it this way, I'm going to do it this way, and we don't think of the potential uh, bad things that can happen in that regard, there's no ill intent in any of that. You've just developed a habit a certain way, and one of the hardest things to do in the world is break a habit, whether you're quitting smoking, whether it's waking up on time, right? Like for me, for the longest time, when I was at the, the government, uh, I didn't have to wake up as early. I'll tell you that right now. Um, and I got, it took me about a year, but I got into the habit of sleeping in, right? Never <laughs> done that in my whole life. I was up, or I was up four o'clock in the yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah. I got into this habit of sleeping in. When I was back in industry, when I had left the Ministry of Labor and back in industry, and now I'm expected to be on a job site for six o'clock to you know, uh, do a safety talk with, with somebody or whatever, I literally had to take my phone and my wife hated it because we had uh, two kids at the time and I would have to put it on full blast right outside my bedroom door to wake you up man. so that I had to get up, physically go shut it off to just to get out of bed, right? Breaking a habit is statistically one of the hardest things to do. It's why um, it's it, even with smoking, people, you know, smoking is obviously addictive. There's addictive properties in a cigarette, but for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's the action. It's the bringing the cigarette to your mouth. It's having a smoke after a coffee. It's having a smoke after you eat. Breaking a, an unsafe working habit is just as hard. It's just as hard as breaking any other habit. So when we're talking to workers, you know, directly to workers, obviously it's a different conversation if we're talking to the organization at that level. But when we're talking to workers, we, we have to be cognizant of, of not only what they do, but where they've learned it. And we can't tell them that they're wrong. No. Because who, look, I'm not an electrician. I'm not a plumber. For me to tell an electrician or a plumber that they're wrong, that they're doing something wrong. Their back's up against the wall. Their back's up against the wall. Period. That just happens, yeah. I have to approach from a place of respect. And a good safety person, doesn't matter whether you've been educated in safety, doesn't matter whether you've been uh, educated through the field, right, through experience. A good safety person makes the connection with the people. Yeah. Right? And understands that you're not going to know everything. So you have to ask the question. I would have to, ask, even as an inspector, I would go onto a site and i say, hey, I don't understand why you're doing it that way. Can you explain to me why this has to be done this way and, and what effect that has? Or, you know, and, and try to understand the job itself before I could say, is there a safer way to do this? Right, can we sit and, and think about a safer way to do this? Because if you're doing it like this, you're going to be exposed to that. So you get to the original roots of construction, which is a collaborative effort. That's it. Basic. Connection and collaboration. That's all. That's all, that's, that's all both sides are asking for. Right, right. So, and that's how I view safety. That's how I've always viewed safety. Come to, and you can't approach people from, from uh, a place of, of holier-than-thou attitudes or aggression. You yeah. can't. You cannot, there's a place for it. There is always a place for enforcement, right? Because, again, like, you know, I can't be your best friend all the time and just no. let you let you slide every time no, I see something. No, no. There's a place for enforcement, but you, you have to approach it from a place of respect. Understand what they're doing. If you've never done this job in your life, understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, and help them come up with a safer way to do it. That's your job. That is your job. It's not to you know open a book and say, 
this, 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 and this, because that person's going to look at that book and go, well, that doesn't work. Like how many times have you had, um, or anybody listening, you know, you've been on site and you've had a, an engineer come to the site and you know that what they've designed is not going to work. But you're sitting there and they're what day saying, of the week, is it? Yeah, is it? But that's what I'm saying, right? Like how many times there are some incredible engineers out there, right? Um, but how many times have we all been exposed to an engineer who said, no, no, this is going to work. And you're trying to tell them like, no, listen, the, the way you've designed this swale is not going to drain. Oh, no, it's going to drain. Okay, I'll do it your way, but you're going to pay me later for all the changes I have to make, right? So I, I equate that a lot to how a safety professional should approach industry, right? Not come in there and saying, no, 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 this way, this way, this way, without understanding how the work is done. You have to be malleable in your approach. You have to be understanding of the work that they're doing, and you have to help them come up with the best solution. You cannot just throw a book at them and say, boom. This. It is such a challenge, John, eh? Because it is. you're dealing with an industry that's full of individuals that go against that grain yep. on a daily yep. basis. And as much as I, I appreciate you saying that the older, more stubborn generation yep. is yep. on their way out. And the younger, I think that this younger generation is good. They're more savvy. They're understanding of it. But they also think that they're 10 times superhuman than what we were like when yep. we were at, at the first Oh, yeah. Right. So then now oh, yeah. it becomes a bigger challenge to kind of educate them. And, and like you've experienced and shared on this show, you really don't want to explain to them the feeling that's associated with being in the situation of a yeah. loss of life on site. Right. You don't right. want to ever experience that. Like there's certain things that you just don't want to experience in life for no. you to learn the lesson. Right. 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 I never thought in my life, you know, growing up, coming up in construction, sitting on my father's lap while he ran an excavator and, you know, doing the work myself. I never thought there would come a day in my life where I was um, going to be intertwined with the last moments of somebody's life, right? Never. Whether it was, you know, that first fatality or whether it was, um, you know, the second one or whether it was I responded to a, a suicide that happened at a construction site, which that necessarily didn't, it wasn't our jurisdiction, but because it was a construction site, we... We responded initially, you know, it, all of these things that I've been exposed to, I never would have thought in my life that, that I would have ever been exposed to them. But it was, you know, for whatever you believe, it was meant to be. I think yeah. that this is where, could I go back right now and run a dozer? 1,000%. Could I go back and, and uh, you know, give me a week to get back into the groove and I'll, I, I can shoot grade, I can grade your road, I can put your pipe in and all that stuff. Could I do that? Absolutely. Do I think about it often? Absolutely. I miss being, especially being on a dozer. I don't know what it was about the dozer, but that was like my Ferrari, man. I just, I love that. <laughs> um, could I go back and do that? Absolutely. Physically, I could. Emotionally, I can't. Because this is the path that I'm drawn to, to, to walk down. And if I can prevent, even through doing this podcast, right? Um, in speaking to you, if I can get somebody to think about how valuable they are in life and to other people and to think about how to approach things differently when it comes to safety and not have this, because I did it too. We all did it. Uh, I know. Say, up oh, safety. Oh, yeah, no, I've been doing this so long. Nothing bad's ever happened. If I can get you to rethink that position even by talking for an hour, even by talking for five minutes, that's what I'm going to do. And, and this is the, the route that I believe I was 
meant to go down to potentially save lives. There are, I don't know if you ever heard of the organization Threads of Life. No. Threads of Life is, um, it's a nonprofit organization uh, that provides support to families of workers who have been killed on the job. Threads of Life also does- uh, in Canada, okay, right. right. Um, it's not. It's not in the U.S. I don't think. Um, okay. It's in Canada. Contractors, it's time to empower your business with Shelta Tech implementation. Shelta is offering a free meeting to tackle your biggest pain points head on. Their goal to develop a custom company app that's built just for you. Their goal to develop a custom company app that's built just for you, solving your pain points, streamlining your processes, making your workday smoother. Here's the scoop. There's a $15,000 digital adoption grant available and Shelta is an expert at helping you secure it. This isn't just funding. It's your stepping stone into a new era of digital efficiency. By your second meeting, you'll get a tailor-made company playbook, a software prototype designed with your input, project tracking, real-time budget management, and daily logs all integrated into a single app. It's tech that works for you, not the other way around. Shelta isn't just offering tech. They're offering transformation. Join the community of 93 subcontractors who have already stepped up their game with Shelta Tech. Two meetings, countless opportunities. Ready to make a move? Visit Shelta.app. Let's pave the way to a smarter, tech-driven future. Shelta Technology, custom tech solutions for the modern contractor. If you ever have a chance to talk to somebody from Threads of Life, it will change your life. These are our, our, you know wives, uh, sons, and daughters of workers who never made it home. And their stories, and it gives me goosebumps, like to this, yeah. to this today, it gives me goosebumps. Their stories will put some reality back into, into, your, into your working life. Your obligation as a worker, whether you own the company, whether you're a supervisor, whether you're a machine operator, whether you're a tradesperson, whether you're a laborer, your obligation is to get home. Get home to your family. That is your primary obligation. Yes, you have to make the organization money. Yes, you have to make money to feed your family. Your primary obligation is to get home. Yeah. That's it. First and foremost, that's it. Right? It, 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 it's, I ask the question to everybody. If I said to you, I'll give you a million dollars, but five o'clock tonight, pff, that's it for you. Are you taking that million dollars? Absolutely not. No. What's your life worth? Is your life worth your weekly paycheck? Right? There's no number. No. And, and that's what I think that, that I try to get across the most. Yes, there are safety is, is there's a lot in safety, Manny. There's um, different, you know, health and safety management systems that are out there, um, like the Ontario Ministry of Labor, CPOs, uh, supporting uh, Ontario Safe Employers program. There's different management systems there's the core program from the ihsa uh, there's iso 45001 yeah. there's a bunch of different systems that are designed to help you improve safety the, the system is not going to fix all your problems whether it's core whether it's iso um, whether it's the csa uh, system which off the top of my head i can't recall you know that what that's called but none of these ohsms these occupational health and safety management systems are going to fix your problem unless you implement them, right? And I don't mean implement them on paper because I will tell you right now, a company can have 
core certification or they can have ISO certification. And you will have done all of that paperwork and all of that work to get that accreditation to put a little sticker on the back of your pickup trucks. If you don't live what these systems require you to live, it doesn't matter whether you've achieved them or not. You're not, it's not working. You have to live that system out. That's, safety is malleable. It's living and it's breathing. It's situational and it's organizational. It's from top down and it's from bottom up. The internal responsibility system is, is important. Everybody has a role to play. Every single person. And even these kids right. have the right to speak up. And if they feel that it's not comfortable, yep. your job is not worth it. The paycheck's not worth it. No. You're not trying to be ego. It's not about... Nope. It's just you're saying that I don't feel comfortable. I feel right. unsafe about this, right? I, I, I would love to challenge, you know, everybody that's listening, for every trade lesson that you teach your workforce or you teach your business or you build your business off of, you teach a safety lesson associated with that trade lesson. Right. So you can right. teach all the t tricks and the tips and all about tools and how to fashion this, how to be a better woodworker, plumber, all kinds of trades. But every lesson you share, you share a safety lesson. And you walk... Yeah. The safety lesson through it like don't just I, I agree with you a lot of people are really great at the paperwork and putting it out there and adding the stamps on their signage their trucks their office and having barcodes on sites and all this other stuff but if nobody's right. actually doing it physically then it's it's just lost it's look you can treat safety like a halloween costume or you can treat it like a way of life right you can point. have yeah you can have the stickers on the back of your trucks. Um, you can, you know, put out uh, little cute messages on LinkedIn and, and things of that nature. You can use software. And look, I, I totally advocate the use of software, whether it's like, you know, CoreFix is a fantastic safety program. You should get in touch. I'll put you in touch with no, Derek. I, yeah, no, um, yeah. You know, you can't just wear it. You have to live it. You can't wear safety. You have to live safety. Safety has to be embedded in, in the fabric and the DNA of everything that you do. And on an organizational level, when we talk about, you know, you mentioned um, workers and young workers need to be confident enough to say, I'm not doing this. I don't feel safe doing this. Uh, that, that, that's psychological safety, right? And, and psychological safety is very, there's very different facets um, in our organization uh, HR leads the mental health initiatives and, and the psychological safety initiatives. Okay. But the, the most important thing about psychological safety within an organization is giving people the, the, the confidence to refuse work. They have to be confident that they can say, I'm not comfortable doing this. I don't feel safe doing this, or I don't know how to do this without fear of reprisal. Reprisal is illegal, by the way. Yeah. They can't right. terminate you because of that. No, yeah. but they can't even. They there can't even. They can't be, reprimand you. They can't. There can't <laughs> even be perceived discipline yeah. or, or reprimand um, for bringing up a safety concern. But I, I would I would challenge every organization to strongly put that message out there to say, look, you are not going to be reprised against. You're not going to be disciplined, and you're not going to be you know looked at because a lot of this comes down to ego as well. Are they going to look at me differently? Um, we're going to support you in exercising your right to question safety, right? All they're doing is bringing up a question, looking right. for an answer. They're not demanding anything. They are just inquiring. That's all right. it is. And I think it starts like with any government or any construction project, conversation, communication. 
That's it. <laughs> that gets a lot further. And so many good things happen as a result of it. So right. we need more of that. A hundred percent. And and I will say, you know, at the very beginning of this, you asked me, you know, if I've seen the industry changing in any, in any way. I will say that I think that that has changed a lot. I think that responsible organizations, whether you are a, a 10-person operation or a 1,000-person operation, responsible organizations, responsible leadership makes it very clear that, you, you know, you have the right to refuse. Yep. But not only makes that very clear – we got to remember that there, there's obligations that every organization has under the act, right? Under the act. Even the word competent is different in your dictionary than it is to mine. Mm. I use the Occupational Health and Safety Act to define competent. You might use Oxford Dictionary. Two different, two different uh, distinctions there. So the Occupational Health and Safety Act, for example, re you know, requires every employer to appoint a competent person as a supervisor. If I were to ask you, Manny, what's your definition of competent? Like, what would you say? Someone's aware of all the risks that are involved and educating all those risks to everybody, right? Right. And, and you're saying that in the context of safety, right? Yeah. A lot of the times if I ask the question, hey, what's competent? I'll get the answer, well, you know, knows how to do the job, knows how to, uh, you know, get this done the right way and stuff like that. And, and, and competency is, is really it's, it's having the skills to to do something efficiently. The definition of competent, competent person in the OHSA is three parts. And you, you can't just be competent if you meet one of those parts. It requires all three parts to be deemed competent, right? So it's knowledge, training, and experience to organize and execute the work, right? It is knowledge of the act and the regs that apply to the work that you do, mm -hmm. okay? And that's an important one, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's knowledge of any actual or potential danger in the workplace of which the supervisor could, you know, uh, reasonably be aware. So when you look at that definition of competent, I, I, would, I would challenge any, any listener, right? If you are a supervisor, right, if you're the uh, owner of an organization, how familiar are you with the act and the regs that apply to the work that you do? Because the reality is, is that if you were in court, you know, and God forbid, I'm going to knock on your wood table here, right? If you were in court because something happened, that's going to come up, right? Of course it will. What training did you give this supervisor, Mr. or Mrs. Employer? What training did you give your workers to identify this? When, when, and when that part of the definition of competent person refers to no, you know, uh, knowledge of the act and the regs that apply to the work that you do, there's no expectation that you're going to memorize that green book. I enforced it in Toronto for five years, and I didn't memorize it. I memorized the sections I used the most, I didn't memorize that whole book, but I know how to navigate it very quickly and very efficiently to, to, find, to, the, to yeah. find the answers I need. That's what knowledge of, of the act and the regs that apply to the work that you do means in that definition of competent person. So if you are a sewer foreman, for example, and you're working with trenches every day, you should know at least section, you know, starting at section 222, we're talking about excavations and what's required for them. We're going to talk about what type one soil is, what type two, what type three is. We're going to talk about sloping requirements or, and, and shoring and things of that nature. You should know that. If you are a, an electrician, you should know the part of the regs that deals with electrical work. Yeah. Right? And a lot of these businesses are specialized. 
That's it. So it's not that you need to know the entire book. No. You just need to know, like if you're constantly digging trenches, you're constantly taking care of panels, you're constantly doing, right. like that's your go-to. That's how a lot of right. these businesses work. So you should have a competent person that's addressing and informed right. about all that stuff. To, you know, to the point that, that you technically shouldn't even be a supervisor unless you meet that definition. Because as the yeah, employer, should, yeah. right, as the employer, that's a legal obligation. These are not suggestions, right? That green book is law. That can be, you know, you can get charged up to half a million dollars per charge per individual, $2 million per charge for the company. Now, will you ever see those fines? I don't know. There's been no court precedent. But that's the, the, the that's not a suggestion, Right? As a supervisor, as an employer, you need to appoint a competent person as a supervisor. Well, what makes a supervisor a competent person? It's not that they, you know, they're the best electrician that you've ever seen. That doesn't matter. No. It's not that they make your company the most money. No. It's that they meet that definition of competency as defined by the act. So, you know, I would, I would challenge everybody, like, how well do you know the act and the regs that apply specifically to the work that you do. And I, I, I don't expect you to, to memorize it. I don't have it memorized, but I can navigate it. I can navigate it probably quicker than most. But right? everyone purchases it. Yeah. Yeah. It's right <laughs> there. Everyone purchases it and they have it. Right. But the spine's never broken. No, they have it because the law says you have to have it yes. on site. Yes. Right. So, and, and everybody Maybe we should encourage them to break the spine once in a while, if That's not it. every single day. That's Honest to, uh, you know, honest to goodness, I would say this. When you're training workers, do not kill them with PowerPoints. No. Do not kill. Death by PowerPoint is a thing. I hated PowerPoints. This is part of the reason that, you know, when I was in college, I was like, oh. My. It becomes Charlie's Brown teacher, man. Yeah. it's right? it, Death by PowerPoint's a thing. Involve the workers. You know, have the conversations. When I train, um, you know, supervisors, and, and by the way, the definition of supervisor doesn't just mean supervisor, right? You could be a lead hand, you're a supervisor. Yeah. PC, supervisor. PM, supervisor. It, it doesn't matter. Anyone with care and control over a workplace or authority over a worker in any situation. When I train our, our, our supervisory staff, a big part of that training is teaching them how to navigate the act and the regs, how to find things how to read things, what a section is, what a subsection is, what a clause is, what a subclause is. Like, I'll, I, and again, I'm not saying that I'm making them memorize, you know, the traffic control section, but I'm going to teach you how to find it. I'm going to teach you what a section is. I'm going to explain to you what a subsection is, what a clause is, what a subclause is. Yeah. That way, when you're finding these things, you know how to navigate it. I think that every employer out there should incorporate this form of learning for their supervisory staff like again read you know kevin brown his his supervisor due diligence course you'll walk out of there way better because it's funny you bring that up because uh the number one thing that most trades people say is i don't even know how to navigate that book i don't even know how to find anything i don't even right. know what the rules are so i'm dismissing it right off the bat but that's the issue you can't yeah. do that if you were to take that mindset to anything that you built would you have built anything right Right. Why is the quality, you know, the quality of your uh, work more important than your life, your, 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 your staff's lives, right? Like nothing that you do in your life will ever be as, as important as 
safety. Nothing that you do will ever be important as important as workplace safety in your working life. Because the lights go off for all of us, yeah. right? They should never go off at work. And if anybody, you know, uh, if anybody willingly goes to work to say, I don't care if people get hurt or killed here, they shouldn't even be in the industry. To the point where the courts now, the courts are, you know, prohibiting people from continuing work, repeat offenders. For the first time, and I think Canadian history... It took some time. Man, it, 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 it was a long time coming. For the first time in Canadian history, I think recently a court... Um, ordered that an individual who had a, a, a history of contraventions cannot work for himself in Ontario anymore. Hmm. They've prevented him from opening another company. It's a good move. It's a great move, actually. It, Seeking top-tier windows? Look no further. Payne's Window Manufacturing is the ultimate choice for custom builders, contractors, and homeowners. Visit www.paynes.com now to experience the pinnacle of quality and customization. Get your instant custom quote today. Elevate excellence with us. Plus, enjoy nationwide shipping across Canada and the U.S. Honestly, it took a long time, um, but I, I, I think that we're getting there. The next thing that I would like to see the courts in Ontario do is um, creative sentencing, um, which in the U.S. it's it's you know more commonly referred to as uh, deferred prosecution agreements, or in Alberta, it's uh, you know um, it's creative sentencing. So what they'll do is they'll say, okay. Um, you're up against a maximum of $10 million in fines, let's just say, right, for the sake of making easy numbers here. Mm -hmm. You're up against a fine of $10 million, um, but we'll work with you and we'll bring that fine down to $1 million if you commit to, um, sorry, if you commit to uh, working with the ASCA, which is the Alberta's IHSA, right? If you commit to working with them, if you go to speak in public about the impact like that this that. had, um, if you commit to uh, Alberta OHS inspections weekly, Al Alberta OHS is I totally um, like this. the Ministry of Labor. Yeah, I think that we, you know, we need to get there in Ontario. We don't have any of that here? We don't do that here as far as I'm aware. Um, there, I, I'm not aware of any court precedent that's been set to that regard. It happens frequently in Alberta, and, and I will tell you right now from experience, because I have um, another former inspector out there, uh, Mike Brown, was working in Ontario, and now he's running a consultancy out in Alberta. Um, Mike's been exposed to this a, a bunch of times. Mike, Kevin Brown? Kevin Brown's brother. Oh, okay. yeah. I was going to say, are they it's, related? Okay. They're, yeah, they're related. <laughs> um, Mike Brown runs a consultancy out in Alberta, so Mike's got a lot of experience in this, um, where this... this um, uh, creative sentencing will require that somebody, if you're a company that didn't have core and you got charged with something, part of that creative sentencing agreement was that you're going to go get core now or that you're going to agree to I have, totally would love to see that yeah, a ministry of labor yeah. inspector from Alberta show up on your site weekly to do an audit. Yeah, That needs to happen because what, there was an article recently put out um, in uh, Occupational Health and Safety uh, Canada, it's an online magazine, and it interviewed... Um, one of the workers who was injured in that uh, that collapse that occurred in London, where two workers were killed. Okay, and it it jumped out at me because one of the 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 things that the injured worker said is, "Why are they going to care if they're going to get away with low fines? Why should that? Why should they care? What motivates the the employers yeah. to care? Yeah, right. So, I think that's where we need creative sentencing to 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 be able to 
Is there any mandate that. that is anybody pushing it forward? That you know of? Not you don't know. I think that among industry, a lot of us are, are, are lobbying for it. Okay. Uh, lobbying's the, the wrong word, right? But um, a lot of us are pushing for it. A lot of us talk about it. Um, it hasn't gotten up to the CPO as far as I'm aware of yet. But again, listen, I you know I have a lot of faith in in um, the Ontario Ministry of Labor to. I know that they they hear it right, and and I know that. This, this has probably come up in a, in a thousand conversations. I just hope that they enact it. I think creative sentencing will force people's hands into participating in safety, not just paying your fine. Yeah. Because if I make $10 million a year and my fine is $50,000, you know. I'm still profitable. I'm still profitable. And I'm not changing my ways. And, and maybe, you know, you change your ways for a little bit of time and then you go right back to what you were doing because it was quicker and it was easier and it was whatever. And it's the quitting the smoking technique, right? It's the right. resolution, get into the gym technique. Right. It's just right. like we need to make it a habit, like you said earlier. Creative sentencing forces you to participate. And if you don't participate, this original fine of uh, $10 million, that's what you're going to be up against. So you either participate... Or are you going to face all Everybody's going to participate at that point. 100%. If that's being given to you, those are the skills, right. Right. you're participating. And even if you're forced to participate at, at, at first, you're going to get better as a result. right? You're going to start to care as a result. Yeah. I promise you now, I have never talked about... I actually do a course about that first fatality, or a little talk, I should say, not a course, and the impact that it had on me and that it had on um, this individual's family. Like, he'll never get to see his daughters walk down the aisle. Um, he'll never get to have a, you know, a father-daughter dance. And I've never left a room of dry eyes when I tell that story. I would, I would encourage any organization out there, if you really want to make an impact, you really want to you know, bring this home in a human way, contact Threads of Life. Have them set you up with a speaker who you know, lost her husband as a result of uh, you know, a dump truck backing up. Have them send out a speaker that... that you know, lost her son as a result of a fall from heights. I promise you that it will change you. It'll change the business too. And hopefully it changes you before yeah. something happens to you. John, we got to do the 12 questions. I, I totally, I would love to have you back and continue the conversation. And I mean, we haven't even talked about RSG, <laughs> but I know that you handle safety there. Right, right. right? I mean, but the go to like every day, what do you do? Like, uh, like what's your... So I... I oversee teams of, of safety professionals across different organizations. So RSG is made up of uh, Powell Contracting and uh, Peninsula and B&K Enterprises in the U.S. And, and everyone has their own safety program and, and safety person or team. I oversee the vision for safety on a corporate level. I, over, I set the uh, KPIs. I set the, you know, I do that whole corporate version of safety, mm -hmm. but I'm also very much involved in the day-to-day. -day. I, I, I need, if... I need to get outside. If I don't get outside, I will get cabin fever. <laughs> I will go apeshit. Do you find yourself right. back on your brother's or your dad's job sites? No. no. Um, I'll tell you. No, just to stop by and say hello and just, is it a weird feeling? No, it's never a weird feeling. And, and uh, I, do, I, I do go pay them visits every now and again. Um, if I can find the time in my day. Uh, it's never a weird feeling. I will tell you this, though. Every time I go there, I'm just like, itching to jump in a machine 
It, like I cannot go there without. <laughs> John's coming. Put the machines away. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Like you, you might as well just turn on the espresso machine and keep me occupied, because I will try and get on that machine. But uh, but yeah, so that's that's what I do for uh, for RSG. I mean, a, a phenomenal organization, um, growing, and and the good thing about RSG is that. You know, we, we supply and install all of these things, so worker safety is important to us, but we're a safety-focused organization all the way around, right? We provide concrete barrier well to keep workers safe in work zones. We provide crash cushions uh, and guide rails so that people involved in accidents have a better chance of, of surviving and, and not being injured. So it's it's... It's not just safety in my occupational health and safety sense. It's safety of motorists. It's safety of workers. It's everything we do uh, revolves around safety. And, and and I don't need to say this because I think the majority of people that listen to this show are in the industry. And the people that are not in the industry, they're the ones that need to hear what I'm about to say is just slow down yep. when you're driving by a construction sure. site on the roadways, whether it be highway or yep. just residential roadways just slow down yep. the most effective street signs uh that i've seen uh, were in york region york region kind of kicked off this program anytime you're driving through a york region work zone you will see and it was highway seven was the first place i saw it. you'll see a sign with uh you know a a, a young boy and yeah. a working mother the, the modified school yeah. kind of sign, and it'll say my mom works here yep slow down right they those, were the first to implement those that's the first i saw it i don't know if yeah, they were sorry, the first. I don't, i'm trying to remember i can't remember when i first saw it but yeah. i was like that's extremely clever right, right. and very effective right those the, you just remember that whatever you're rushing towards somebody's working in that work zone you're driving through that work zone they have a family to get home to as yeah. well yeah so and i do want to i know that you guys handle the safety and all this other stuff but and i've joked on the show several times that i don't spell toronto the way everybody else spells it i spell yeah. it t-r-a-f-f-i-c right yeah 100%. but we're going into the new season now and maybe you have some insight into this before i ask you the 12 questions why do we have so many potholes on our roadways i have the second thing that toronto's famous for traffic and potholes i try and stay as far away from the city as possible at all points in time it's just uh, I would rather li listen. I I I love the United States. I, I I hope that one day my career takes me full time into the U.S. to practice my trade, if you want to call it there down there. Um, but I've been into many different cities in the U.S. I have never ever seen the amount of traffic in Toronto like it is in Toronto. I've never seen the amount of potholes. I mean, I've, I'm, we're talking New York City. Mm -hmm. I can get around easier in New York City than I can in Toronto. So. To answer the question as to why there's so many potholes, I don't know. It's it's like uh, God's dropping boulders every. <laughs> you'll repair the road and bang. Special, special formula of asphalt and special formula of salt or special no idea. something going on there, but no clue. Um, and if anybody wants to get a hold of you, you got your email. You want to share your email? Or? Uh, you just find me on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, have, right uh, through there. Yeah, yeah. I have an open profile there. That's and, it. and then the talk that you've done, you, you continuing to do that or? Is regarding threads or um threads of life is an organization outside of outside you of said me. You, you did a talk as well yeah i do i do talks to um predominantly within my organization but i also have done them with other organizations okay. when when asked yeah um so yeah i mean just 
you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn. We'll, we'll, we'll talk safety, right? I have no problem. It'd be easy to DM you and just send a message. Yeah, yeah, and I have no problem uh, answering questions. If your question can potentially save somebody else's life, I will answer your question. Perfect, perfect. You ready for this? Yep. What's your favorite construction word? Concrete's here. I love that. I love that. It's almost like all the prairie dogs come out of the... I love that They're word. ready to rock and roll, right? I, we we <laughs> spent all this time building that prepping, form. Prepping, prepping, prepping. You know, and, and, and I love finishing concrete. So, you know, I'm sitting there kind of with my bucket and You're my ready. float. You're and ready, I'm ready. So, yeah, concrete's here is my favorite construction. What's your least favorite tool? Can, I, can it be equipment? It could be anything. Smooth drum rollers. Smooth drum rollers. I, it's, it's monotonous. It's back and forth and back. And li- look, I understand their purpose, and, and, and I appreciate those who do that work. I can't do it. What construction sound do you love? Excavators, loading, dump trucks. That sound of... Emptying of, the shovel when it, yeah, so when when it cascades w- into the dump? Right. That's a, mm, just loading, actually, loading yeah, the truck. That nice sound, sound is phenomenal. What's your favorite beverage? Coffee, hands down. What's the worst and best thing about construction? The best thing about construction is that it is a good living. It's an honest living, and it's a living that you can be proud of, that you can see progress every single day. The worst thing about construction is sometimes the mentality towards safety. Right? When you say, when you put production over safety, you're, you're setting yourself up to fail. It's not worth it. Favorite curse word? Fuck. It's the most versatile word out there. I don't care. It can be used in many, many ways, in many, many situations. Right. What's your favorite vehicle? Anything in the world. Any mode of transportation? Anything in the world? Anything. Oh, man. Could be a machine. Yeah, I'm going there. anything. I'm going there. It's It's a closed cab John Deere 750 dozer with a working radio and air conditioning. That's it. What do you miss from your childhood? mindfulness if that makes sense so you know we, I, we weren't distracted with uh, screens and and uh constant entertainment i mean like growing up we would play baseball on the street until the lights went down and and the, i think that's the thing i, I miss the most is that you know all the parents would kind of grab their little folding lawn chairs and, and they'd watch you and your friends play baseball and as the sun went down and the street lights came on it was like you were playing in the dome you know does anybody do that anymore I don't know. know. My son, my middle son plays baseball and, uh, well, I mean, he's five, so he's just getting into it and uh, I love it. That's like my, one of my favorite things on earth, just bringing him to baseball. What profession would you, uh, other than your own, would you like to attempt one day? (sighs) It's a good question because I think that this is what I was designed to do, that I was put here to do. Um, because you started off as one career and now you're yeah yeah i i, I do think that i was I, I'm, I'm my purpose is to do safety but if i could do something else as well it would be podcasting just because i listen i'll talk i'll talk as come long back as anytime john honestly <laughs> and you want to use the studio and and talk about what you what we briefly <laughs> talked about you're more than welcome to man appreciate that. i totally think you're doing an amazing job that'd be great more, thank more you. people listening thank you what profession would you not like to do Paramedic. It's, uh, you know, God love them, and I have incredible respect for, for them, but paramedics, I don't think I could, I, I, I could do that. Like, I, I just, I 
can't see myself. There's an expiration date on that career. Yeah. A I, real I, quick one. I, I couldn't do it. Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? This was the question that, that you know, I had the most discernment uh, thinking about when you had sent me this ahead of time. The, the, and, and you saved it for last for a reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, life is, is, is difficult, right? Life is hard. And we all struggle. And some struggle more than others, myself included, and I'm sure yourself included. The one thing that would make all of this worth it getting to heaven is to hear God say, well done. Well done. Those two words is, is I think, when, when I sat and thought about this, I said, what do I, you know, what do I want to hear God say? Like, you know, I, I thought about funny responses, like there's pizza, mm-hmm. um, which, listen, you know, if you're <laughs> listening, if you're listening if up there, if just take note. If there's no pizza, you got to add it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I thought about what the, the funniest responses would be and, and, and all that stuff. I think that, for those of uh, you know whether you believe or and for those of us who do believe i think that the most meaningful thing that we can hear in this world whether it's as fathers or mothers or brothers or sisters or workers or whatever we are is well done because yeah. that that's the culmination of our experience on this earth just to hear well done thank you thank you for thank having you, me man and well done thank you. honestly <laughs> thank you no thank you. it's been a pleasure meeting you and and chatting and having you on the show and i and i mean it you're welcome anytime that you want to come back and have another conversation and just continue it and i will definitely check out everything that you mentioned here and reach out to them and talk to them as well too and we'll see because i i'm i want to continue expanding this i want to continue talking about this Thank you for doing this show Thanks. first like I, you know i i, I got to get that out there because for for Folks in the trades and in construction, like, you know, myself and, and, and everybody who does the work today, really, we, you know, this is for us. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, you, you, if anybody hasn't thanked you yet, thank you for doing the show, man. It's, uh, I get a lot of things. Yeah. It's great. I love yeah. it. I get thanks from strangers. I get people who send me messages and, and the show connects. But I, yep. I think at the beginning, it was about me. And for the first maybe couple of episodes, and then I quickly realized it's not about me. It's about right. the guests, and it's about people who are listening. It's about the people that are putting on their safety boots and everything, going to the job site and earning an honest wage and right. struggling, but also building. So it's about everybody there, and that's why I think this show has done so well, and it's continued to do well. And I don't know what's in store for me. We'll see what happens, but I have no. There's not a stop sign. I don't see a stop sign yet. Do any of us really know? Like again, it, you know. What I do next week, next month, next year, you know, whether it's here, there, or anywhere else, it's, uh, we can't put limits on ourselves. And, no. and the way that this, like, I remember following the Instagram page when it was at, like, a thousand followers. Right? <laughs> the, way back. Yeah, the TCL page. And I remember. Oh, so you probably missed, sorry, the Green Book, right? We were doing the Green yeah, Book all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, uh, I, I remember following this page and, and I would have conversations with, uh, you know, my buddies that are in the industry, with the other safety guys. I'd be like, hey, you know, this, this is a cool show and things like that. So <laughs> it's like when you messaged me, I said, yeah, we, we know who Manny is. So. <laughs> Yeah, but I also back in the day, and I'm to blame. I've done some videos where I shouldn't have been doing them the way I was doing them, right? And uh, and uh, I I was told through the grapevine that you know certain people were keeping an eye on me. Yeah, they do. But the thing is, in yeah. all fairness, that statement woke me up. Yeah, 
Like, yeah. listen, you're a reflection now. You're yeah. actually a voice. Yep. You can't be right. a hothead or you can't be this asshole or whatever. You can't be that yeah. way. You should actually be sharing a lot more positivity and just focus on that. And that was totally what changed at that point. It's it's good that you bring this up because before, you know, before I, I cut out and the show cuts out here, I will say this. If you are advertising your services on Instagram, right, if you are a company that's uh, advertising your work on Instagram and your videos are not safe, right, if you have guys exposed to fall hazards and your company logo blasted all over the place, people see that, right? And I'm not saying this because the Ministry of Labor should be observed as a boogeyman at any point in time. That's not why I'm saying this. The image that you're putting out, though, people are seeing that. They're picking up on that. Safety, when you exude a safe work environment, when you put safety out in the forefront, when people can look at you, even through an advertising video, and say, oh, wow, they got everything they need to have, it makes you more professional. So just keep, you know, be no, mindful of that. a good point that, that you brought right? that up. It's very, very true, right? So. so. I'm glad. I'm glad that the show has gone the way it's gone and the route yeah. it's gone. And uh, it's an awesome show. We'll see where it's going to go from there. But I totally, uh, I, I enjoy. I just enjoy meeting people, and having a conversation about shop. That's yeah. all we do is we talk about shop. Yeah, I, I love this show, Manny. I'm, Thanks, I'm, man. I'm honored that you asked me to come on, and I appreciate it. Thank you, man. That's it. We're we're all done. We're all good. Pain's over. You don't have to sing again. It's all over. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Thanks Can't so much, wait. John. Can't wait for my son to hear that. To He'll enjoy it. He'll totally oh, enjoy yeah, it. Oh yeah, yeah. He was singing it before I left. <laughs> Thanks, John. We're out of here, Angela.